Here at Doxadeo Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. Friends, it's so exciting to be together and uh, even through the exams and tests that um, some of the students are writing, you're still here, so well done and uh, you are ready to come and meet with God and His people. But I want to quickly just mention that next Sunday is our Worship Unlimited experience. It's a whole night of worship, yes. So make sure that you invite your friends, your family, invite your world to this amazing opportunity and then after our worship unlimited experience we're gonna what braai yes we're gonna eat together we're gonna braai you only have to bring meat and we supply fires and side dishes for you and we would love for you to join us um, i'm gonna ask the crew to just send out the clipboards if you want to eat with us next sunday evening so that we can prepare fires and side dishes for you won't you just please put up your name there on the clipboard so that we know that we can prepare for you um, as we come together uh, to celebrate next Sunday. Then very important, on Saturday, next Saturday, we're actually having a kids production. Uh, as a Doxa Day of City, we, we prepared a creative kids production and we want to invite the city to this moment of celebration, but also also this moment of ministry. So maybe you have friends and family that have kids. Please invite them to this experience. Your, those kids will be blessed and maybe you as well. You're going to enjoy it. It's fun. It's, I mean, you're a kid as well deep inside, I suppose. Some of you watched animation movies this weekend. That's fine. Me as well, but I'm obligated because I have kids. So come and join us for that and uh, yes, are you ready for the word tonight? Are you ready to dive into what God has for us? Um, I'm going to call up a very special friend of mine, Abel. He used to lead this service. Can you remember that? It was a glorious time. And uh, let's appreciate Abel as he shares the word with us tonight. Klapner for Monday. Thank you, Eugene. So it's been a cool day. So this morning at our new Doxareo Bloemfontein North Campus, which has been running for about seven to eight months now, um, Eugene had the privilege of actually preaching on that side. So for us, it was a great honor. He was actually leading worship uh, because our worship leader, um, Albert, is part of the kids production that was at Central Campus that is coming your way next week, Sunday. So we had Eugene leading the worship as well as preaching. And so he was visiting the people of the north. And this morning, I get to visit the people of the south again. Okay. How many of you remember there was a show on SABC, People of the South? So let's see who's over the age of 30. Over the age of 30, over the age of 30. Okay. So the rest, I'm just trying to figure out what age this crowd is. Okay. So let's go. So uh, last week, you guys uh, kicked off the new sermon series, uh, which is all about this idea that God created. Just quickly step back with me to Genesis chapter 1. Remember, you don't remember, but you know you've read in Genesis chapter 1 that God created order from chaos. There was chaos, and then God breathed and spoke order into place. And you think about the way that he created it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful passage of scripture about how God created everything in this world from day one to day six. 
right, right, the different things that God has created. And if you think about all of those days, God was busy creating order from chaos, separating the night from the day, giving a place to, to all of the animals in this world. And the sun and the moon, the different seasons, God created order out of chaos. And when he created order out of chaos, one of the ways in which he does it is he puts in place principles. Principles we might call like scientific uh, principles or laws that govern our creation. Let me give you one example, gravity. How many of you have ever heard about gravity? Ever experienced gravity when you trip over and you fall? Yes. Gravity is a law that governs nature. Right, right. That's one of the ways in which God has, has, has put order into place. And everything in life obeys the laws of God, those principles, those rules of nature. And so in this sermon series, we are looking at five ways to rule in life. We actually had a very long discussion about what the sermon series should be called, whether it should be called five ways to rule in life or five rules for life. But we're so afraid that anyone might think we're going back to the law of Moses when we say the rules of life. But that is also what we are speaking about, the rules of life. So just like God has put in a rule of life, meaning gravity, in nature, there are certain rules or certain principles, just like gravity, that God has put in place that if you ignore them, you will struggle to live. You will not do life in the right way if you ignore the principles that God has put in place in this life. If you ignore gravity, you will get hurt. Is there anyone that disagrees with me? No. If you ignore simple principles of life, life-giving principles that God has put in place, that Jesus has taught us, if you ignore them, you will get hurt in life. It's as simple as this. You will get hurt if you ignore the rules or the principles of life. As soon as we hear the word rules, we think of religion, that I have to do them in order to please God. In actual fact, God has put those things in place and told us about them in order that we can have life and have it in abundance. So if I say that, you might sit here this evening and say to yourself, well, there is this life that God has created for me and that Jesus has opened up for me by having the Spirit of God in me. But if I look at that life, you know, what the good life should look like, a, a Spirit-filled life, a life with God. If I look at that life and I look at the chaos that I'm currently living in, it just doesn't match up. I don't know if any one of you feel like that tonight. You just look at the pressure you are experiencing with your exams or at your place of work, you look at your life and you read in the Bible about that other life that Jesus is speaking about in John chapter 10, verse 10, when Jesus says that I've come to give you life and give it in abundance or that you might have life in abundance, that you might live life to the full. Is there anyone tonight that also feels that if you're honest with yourself, you don't feel like you are living life to the full. If you feel like you are not living life to the full, the way that it was created to be lived, what you are actually saying is, I think there's somewhere in my life where there is misalignment 
to the way that life was meant to be lived. The way that God created life to be, I know there's, there's another, there's, I've experienced this recently, looking at my life, the way that we are running around, my wife and I with our kids, pressure at work everywhere. And we had this conversation with one another, just honestly saying, I don't think that God planned this kind of living. <laughs> There's another kind of living. And if you feel like that tonight, I've got good news because we are looking at some of those principles. Now, the one principle that we are looking at tonight, so we chose five. We could have chosen more because there are more principles that God has given us. But one of the principles we'll be looking at tonight is the principle of rest, the rule of rest. I'm not going to be afraid to call it a rule, right? And if you think about it, Jesus actually came when they asked him about the Sabbath. You remember there's a story where Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath. And then they say, no, 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 Jesus, you broke the rule. You're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And then Jesus explained to them that this is not the kind of rule that you have to obey in order to please God. God did not decide to give us the Sabbath in order to please him. He designed the Sabbath in order that we can have life to the full because we need it. And so Jesus, you know that saying where Jesus says that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. I'm speaking about that kind of rule, not the religious kind of rule that you think you have to do to please God, the kind of rule that if you don't ignore it, you align yourself with it, you have life. You do life better. I'm pretty, I'm gonna, is there anyone interested in doing life better? Can I, can I just ask you, please raise your hand. Yes, okay, I'm not alone, great. I'm gonna get this thing right. So, let me start off by just asking this question. What is the opposite of rest? So we're speaking about rest tonight. What is the opposite of rest? Maybe say to the person next to you. What, what would you say is the opposite of rest? Now, there's a good chance that many of you said the opposite of rest is work or studying, exams, or whatever. I just want to start there by saying that the opposite of rest is not work because that will... That would imply that, that work is bad and rest is good. The opposite of rest is not work. Work is a good thing. Work is something that God created. And in fact, it is a principle of life. If we had six weeks on this sermon series, we probably would have preached in the six week on the principle of work. And here's the rule. We're not gonna do a whole sermon. Let me just give it to you in one line. If you don't work, you'll get nothing done. You won't do life in the right way if you don't work sometimes. You have to work. We are made to work. Even God worked for six days. But then on the seventh day, you also rested. Okay. So the opposite of rest is not work. I'm not speaking about that. The opposite of rest is restlessness. Restlessness. If you have rest less, <laughs> you don't have rest. And so, so here's the thing. This is what I actually want to get to tonight is that you can experience restlessness when you are working and when you are resting. Even in your times of rest, you can be restless. You can be restless at the office. You can be restless in the classroom. But you can also be restless at home with your family. And you can be restless even on the beach. 
on holiday. You can experience re restlessness is not an activity. It is a state of being. It is a state of being. And so the opposite of restlessness would probably be restfulness. I don't know if there's a word like that, but because if there's a word like restlessness, we're making up a word restfulness. Okay. Being restful, full of rest, experiencing rest. You can experience rest even when you are working hard, when you're studying hard, and you can be full of rest at home and also on the beach. Now, and in order to not you know, uh, misguide you that you think that we're speaking about rest as the opposite of work. Instead of saying to rule in life, you need to rest. Because then everyone's going to say, well, in order to rule in life, I need to do the, the four-hour work week. See how little I can work in life. How many of you have heard about that book, The Four-Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris? It's not aligned with the kingdom of God. <laughs> we were not made to have holiday for the rest of our lives. <laughs> That's not what God made us for. It's not to have a four-hour work week. We were made to have a six-day work week, if you read Genesis, right? We were made to work. It's a good thing. And so to rule in life, you need to rest. That, that sounds wrong to me. So rather, I reframe the title to say, you cannot rule in life when you are restless. If you are in the state of being, of being restless, you will not rule in life. You won't live this life that Jesus refers to in John chapter 10, verse 10. So the problem in our time, probably a sickness in our time, is restlessness. I don't know if anyone will agree with this, but restlessness is a sickness. We struggle with it. There's actually a person that wrote an article, uh, Crystal Raypole, just on a, a normal uh, website, healthline.com, and she explained hurry sickness. Do you know that hurry sickness is a thing? Hurry sickness. Anyone willing to self-diagnose them tonight with hurry sickness? I think I've got it. I'm going to speak about another sickness that if you're a student, you feel like, well, I'm not that much in a rush, but it might be similar to you. You might have disconnected sickness. You never disconnect from this phone or from people. Hurry sickness. She explains it like the following. She says, hurry sickness is related to technological, or mostly related to technological devices that was meant to make life easier. It's quite ironic that the very devices, things like this iPad and your laptop and your cell phone, it was designed to make life better with this idea that, that you will never be disconnected. You can now always be connected. doesn't matter where you go you will always be connected to friends and family and even colleagues. It was designed that you would get more work done, that, that now you can do your emails wherever you go. You can do your messages and the work that you need to do wherever you go. You can take your office with you thinking that then I'll get more done so that in the end I will work fewer hours. That was the thinking. I can be more productive, work wherever I want to. I can, you know, I can eliminate waiting in long queues because I can catch up on some work. And that way, I'll actually end up working less. And what has happened? Research actually shows that people, just the past 10 years, they work 10% more hours a week on average. Because we are always taking our work with us, what ends up happening is we just always work. Not only, this is an interesting fact about research, over the past 10 years, people on average work 10% more hours 
but they rest 30% less hours. We rest a whole lot less. You see, this was designed so that you always stay connected. You know what the problem is these days? We don't know how to disconnect. I mean, God forbid that you don't reply to that WhatsApp. Or that you shut your phone off when you get home, right? That you sometimes, even as a student, that you don't go on social media the whole time. <laughs> that something happens in the world and you only find out about it tomorrow. We struggle, so that's why I think, um, let me give, give you some signs on um, uh, hurry sickness. Uh, this uh, person explains it as the need to make the most out of every second. We call it multitasking and we are proud of it. Research actually shows that it's impossible for a human being to multitask. You can only do one thing at a time. But we want to try and squeeze, you know, productivity out of every single second. It's difficult to be early for an appointment or to wait. How many of you have experienced it? When you wait for, a, you know, waiting in line, you go to the doctor, wherever, you go see a lecturer, and there's, you have to wait. What do you do? First thing you do, take out your phone. That's a bad habit, and I'm so guilty of that. I cannot wait. Maybe you don't struggle with hurry sickness that much. I do. I really do. Like for me, whenever there's a five minutes of waiting, I just get onto my phone so that I can catch up on some stuff. Or even just, you know, quickly reading up on what's happening at the Cricket World Cup, which I suppose is fine. But you know what, what I'm missing? I'm missing the actual world that God has placed me in with the actual real human beings that are sitting around me, where I could have struck up a conversation because I'm in another world. Maybe another sign of hurry sickness is speeding through traffic. That's me, definitely. Um, and when you get to the traffic light, you count the cars and you look at the kinds of cars trying to determine their takeaway speed. If it's like an old bucky, you don't go... Park behind it. If there's a, a Ford Ranger and a Toyota Hilux, you go behind the Hilux because you know you're going to save time. Right. Anyone counts cars like that? Or you go to the grocery store and what do you do when you have to pay? You count the people in the different lines. Because, I mean, God forbid that you would have to wait two minutes longer to pay for your groceries. You're not looking at the people. You're not interested in the people. You're not looking at the people's faces. You're looking at their groceries because you're trying to count how much groceries do they have in there. And if they're over the age of 70 or so, you know it's going to be a long process. I'm sorry, that, that was bad. But it's a safe crowd to make a joke like that. Okay. Or you get irritated when there are delays. I mean, I go to the to put in petrol, and then uh, <laughs> just yesterday it happened. We're putting in petrol, but we're in a rush, and so we're like, okay, no, don't fill up, just 500 bucks, that's it, go. And uh, then the guy starts putting in, and then he takes the, what, what do you call the, the thing that cleans the windows? A window cleaner. Thank you, Eugene. <laughs> Thanks, Eugene, clever man. He takes the window cleaner, and then splash on the window. And my wife's like, oh, no. Like she literally said it. Because we knew that's going to cost us 53 seconds of our day. And we can't afford that. It's like, just put in the petrol. Let's go, man. There was a time when I was very good at actually asking 
for a name when I put in petrol. And I looked them in the eye and I had a conversation. The past number of years, I'm horrible at this. <laughs> I'm so, so bad at this. Now, maybe just for the students, if you feel like, no, I'm not, not so much in a, in a rush. You, you, you might say, okay, well, obelisk, because you've got three kids and, you know, there's a career happening, so you're in a rush. But even if you're a student, let me ask you just this thing. How good are you without your phone or just without technology? Maybe you've got disconnected sickness. You cannot be disconnected. Maybe even as a student. I remember when I was a student, cell phones wasn't smartphones back then. So it was a bit easier. But I struggled to be disconnected from people. I always had to be where things were happening. I needed to surround myself with people. I couldn't just disconnect and be on my own with my own thoughts. Maybe you've got disconnected sickness. Now, let me quickly ask you a question. What do you think would it have looked like if Jesus was walking around now with a smartphone? If Jesus had a smartphone, how do you think would his relationship look with his phone? Or maybe with his computer. Surely Jesus would have been a gamer, right? Because he loves people. He wanted to connect. But, but just what would that relate? I think he probably would have you know, not been totally against technology. But what would his relationship to technology have looked like? Let's quickly look at how Jesus did life. So Mark chapter 1, verse 35 to 37. It's a beautiful passage. Before daybreak, it's in the morning. For those of you who don't know, especially the students. Before daybreak, the next morning. So this is actually uh, just the context of Mark chapter 1. He was in this village and he was preaching and people came. He healed them and the crowds were coming. Like everyone in the city was waiting for Jesus. They just wanted a piece of Jesus, right? And what does Jesus do? Everyone is looking for him. But the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. He went out to an isolated place to pray. He disconnected from the world, from where people were. I mean, I mean just thinking, just, uh, there's a scripture um, just later, verse 36, it says, Later Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. I don't know if you feel like that, but you know when you get those many notifications on your phone? Everyone is looking for you. It's the same thing. Jesus had notifications in the form of Peter saying, Everyone is looking for you. I mean, and for good reason. They want to be healed. But Jesus knew that he had to put in place in his life a principle of disconnecting from the world, even though the world is good and he loves the world and he loves spending time with the world. He disconnected from the world in order to connect with his father. He disconnected in order to connect. That's a working definition that I want to give you of the word rest. Rest, here's my definition of the word rest. Rest is disconnecting so that you can connect. It's disconnecting from either if, you, if you're resting from work, you are disconnecting from work. If you're you know, resting from your family after a long holiday, you're disconnecting from them, right? If, if you greet your mother-in-law, you disconnect from her for a moment. Okay, it's a good thing. Anyways, rest is disconnecting so that you can connect with your creator. 
You know, in a sense, you can also say that you are connecting with just yourself, with your own body, with your own mind. Because God made you to live connected actually with yourself also. You're disconnecting so that you can connect. That's what Jesus did. He disconnected so that he can connect. And I want to say this also, that it is impossible for you to really connect with your father in a meaningful way without disconnecting in some way. My wife and I, we love date nights. And you know what a date night is? It's simply disconnecting from the whole world so that we focus only on one another. For a moment, we're just going to say no to everything so that we say yes to one another. It's the same thing with your walk with Jesus. If you want to do life in the way that Jesus explained this, this, this new life, this resurrection life, with the presence of the Holy Spirit, if you want to do that kind of life, you need to make time to disconnect in order to connect with your Father in heaven. Now, I know this is a very, very simple sermon, but I'm hoping that it will be memorable and that it will be practical for you. Now, Two weeks ago, myself and my wife, we went on holiday, so um, we love our kids. Don't worry, we really love our kids, but we really, really love leaving our kids at my parents-in-law or with my parents so that we can disconnect from our kids. Am I a bad father? No, I'm a good husband, yes. <laughs> and so we leave our kids. Um, uh, we were down in Mossel Bay, and so we go to Wilderness. Oh, man, that sounds romantic, Right. We go to the wilderness. If you don't know where the wilderness is, it's just a small town. And uh, so we go there, we book an evening, and we dine out. And the next morning, we're in this lovely place. There's no technology, really cool place. And then we know that we can book out at 10 o'clock, but we up early because I'm the father of three. So we like, you know, wake up at five o'clock in the morning, like, <gasps> like you're worried about your kids. Like, where are my kids? And you realize, okay, I left my kids. They're all Okay. But anyways, and then we were just lying there, and we, because we're cheap, we didn't want to leave before 10 o'clock. Exactly 10 o'clock, that is when we will check out because we paid for this place, okay? So we're going to get maximum benefit from this place. We are from Bloemfontein, so we're cheap, okay? So, amen, yes. And so we're there, and it's a Sunday morning, so church is happening. I'm a little bit anxious on, like, is everything okay at church? And we still connect a little bit. We try not to connect too much. But then we have a bit of a conversation saying, we just want to take a moment to spend time with God. And we had a very, very honest discussion with one another. And we said the following, that it feels like it's become more difficult to spend time with God than what it was five years ago. So this is just a bit of a confession moment to you. And I know this morning Eugene said something in this line, but after I tell you this story, you would be very thankful that Eugene is your pastor and not me, okay? Because this is a very true uh, confession. We had a conversation, my wife and I, saying that we are actually finding it difficult to just sit and read the Bible and even prayer. Uh, if I can be honest with you, five years ago, I did Bible reading and prayer better than what I'm doing it now. It feels like I went backwards. I'm still connecting. I mean, I still make time. And, and, and now and then there's some wonderful times with God. But I do find it just being a little bit harder. And we knew immediately that this is the problem. It's because we are not in a habit, a daily habit of disconnecting. That we're finding it very difficult to just sit still and connect with our Father in heaven. 
Let me ask you the question. Just be honest with yourself for a moment. Do you find it difficult to connect with God? Just no, 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 like, don't hear what I'm not saying. We know that we're all connected with God. His spirit is with us. So we're not speaking as if God is far and you have to search for him. It's like my wife and I, we married. I don't have to question that. But date nights are important. How's it going with your date nights with God? Are you finding it difficult just to, to read the word, meditate on it, allow it to speak to you? Are you finding it difficult to just speak to God? I want to suggest to you that maybe one of the reasons why that might be hard is just because you don't have a healthy habit of disconnecting. That might not be the only thing, but, but that might be one of the big reasons why you struggle to really connect with the Father. It's because you're struggling to disconnect. You know the kind of church that we dream about is the kind of church that doesn't need to come to church to experience God. That, that all of you don't come here with this extreme hungry desire that, that you know, at church, then I sometimes experience God. But that you would have experienced God the whole week. And now we are just celebrating the presence of God together and, and, and encouraging one another on what God has told us during this week. That's the kind of church that we're called to be. We don't need a pastor because Jesus was the last priest. You can connect with God yourself. So Corrie ten Boom said the following. She said that if the devil can't make you sin, he will make you busy. There's a guy that wrote a book and he actually makes this argument saying that if you think about the effects of sin, what is the effects of sin? The effects of sin is it disconnects you from God. It creates distance between you and God. So if you think about it, busyness or connectedness or hurry, whatever you want to call it, restlessness, it has the exact same effect as what sin has because it leaves you in a place where you feel disconnected from God. So Carl Jung, famous uh, psychologist, he said that hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil <laughs> or busyness or restlessness. It's not of the devil. It is the devil. So let me ask you this question. Why is this important? Why would I have this talk tonight on rest? Is it so that all of you can live a healthier life and prioritize sleep and exercise and, and just feel better about yourself and just experience a little bit more like zen in your life? Is that why we're talking about this? No. The reason why this talk is so important, it's, if you think about your discipleship for the rest of your life, it's probably one of the most important concepts you have to grasp is that you know what's at stake? is your walk with Jesus is at stake. This is where you practically walk with Jesus, is those moments when you disconnect in order to connect with God. That's what's at stake. There's a guy, W.F. Adams, he said that, that hurry or busyness, it's the death of prayer. It's the death of prayer. We've experienced this. There's a man, um, he wrote a book, uh, called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And in this book, John Mark Comer, he uh, argues that hurry is incompatible with the kingdom of God. Like always living connected, never disconnecting, that is incompatible with the kingdom of God. Because if you feel restless, restlessness, if you feel that, you cannot love people in the way that you should love them. 
because at the traffic light, if you're in a hurry, you don't see the person. You're not interested in their name and their story because you're in a hurry. They are just an interruption. You know, Jesus, uh, this guy actually argues that I think 92% of Jesus's miracles took place in a distraction. When Jesus was busy doing something and someone distracted him, like the lady that, that tugged on him and said, help me, the lady with the, the problem with blood. And then he stopped. He didn't say, sorry, I need to be somewhere. He stopped and he was present in that moment. You see, if you so just so connected and so restless, you, you struggle to be present and therefore you'll struggle to love people. You'll struggle to experience joy if you're always in a hurry. And you'll struggle to experience peace. Those are fruits of the Spirit. We struggle to live the John 10 verse 10 life if we are always restless. So we need to put a place, a habit in place. I'm going to skip that. Let me get to maybe just the last point that I want to make. And then after that, there's a scripture that I want to read to us, and then we're going to worship together. How many of you like music? Anyone? Okay. How many of you are good at music? Okay. Some of you are good at it. I love music. I really love it. But I'm horrible at it. Like, I really suck. I've got no rhythm. I don't have rhythm. But I envy anyone who has rhythm. Now, here's the thing about music. The other day I asked my good friend Albert. He's a drummer. I asked him, so, so if, you know, with music, sometimes I hear when they practice. I hear Eugene or Albert when he's leading worship there in the north. He will tell the drummer, you're a little bit too quick for the song. Or he will say you are a little bit too slow for the song, which sounds like an insult, right? You're a little bit too slow. But it just means they're out of rhythm. And so I asked Albert this question, what would you say is worse? If a drummer is too quick for the rhythm or for the you know, for the rest of the band, if he's ahead of the band, or if he's behind. I asked him, which one is worse? And he said, both are worse. There's only one right way to do it. It's according to the rhythm. Maybe, maybe we can just do a bit of an exercise. Uh, if I can ask the, the drummer, also, is Vipia Mosne? Yeah? Vipia in, uh, and maybe Sean and Leonard. So, I want to ask, I didn't give Leonard a heads up for this, but don't worry, it won't be too difficult because you're a musician. But I want to ask the drummer just to give us on the, the kick drum, just to give us a bit of a beat. Maybe you guys can even clap with them uh, when they do that, just to give us a bit of a rhythm. And then the bassist can just follow the rhythm, and Sean, he can jam with the rhythm also. Now, here's the thing about rhythm. Let me quickly explain this. If we go back to Genesis chapter 1 again, you think about the way that God created the universe. There's a rhythm to it. That's why music is so beautiful. I think it's connected with, with just creation. So there's a rhythm. Each, each morning, you can bet on it, the sun will come up and then the sun will come down. The moon has got its own rhythm. The ocean has got its own rhythm, its own life. The seasons of life, you know, the four seasons in a year, there's a rhythm to it. Some of the rhythms are shorter, some of them are longer. And if you think about it, all of creation is obedient to the rhythms of life. A good farmer is obedient to the rhythm of life. He will not plant if it's not the season to plant. He will not harvest if it's not the season to harvest because you are in line with the rhythm of God. 
all of creation, but God has given us this thing called free will. And so sometimes we decide not to follow the rhythm of God. Maybe we can get a bit of a beat going there. Is that good? You guys want to guys want to clap with him? It's a good beat. I like that beat. So life is like music. It's like good music. And that's the life that we are invited to, a life of fullness. But then we think, I need to work more or I need to work less. Drummer is not going to be excited. Can I play with you? Sound nice? Okay, thanks guys, thanks. So here's the point. It just doesn't sound right. If you ignore the rhythms of life. That's what we're preaching about, the way that God has designed life. And if you trust the rhythms of life, you trust that something like a Sabbath or resting is something that is good for you so that you can live life in abundance. If you ignore it, you will get hurt. Let me quickly ask you this question. How did God make you? The first question is, do you trust the rhythms of life? That one of the rhythms of life is that you need to disconnect in order to connect. If you ignore that rhythm, you're not going to live the life that Jesus speaks about in the New Testament. What are you made for? How did God make you? He made everything in life with rhythm. How did he make you? He made you firstly to connect with him. You are a human being that is made to connect with your creator. That is why there's a longing in your heart. Even tonight, if you're sitting here and you don't call yourself a Christian, there is a longing in your heart to connect with something higher. It's because you are made by God that way. (laughs) You are made to live connected to God. And that was the work of Jesus that he has done for us. And secondly, you have to understand, God has made us to rest. And rest, I mean that definition of mine, to disconnect in order to stay connected with your creator. I'm going to read you a passage of scripture, and then I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. So in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, there's that scripture that Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are tired and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. It's actually a translation that says, I will rest you. It's like a verb. I will rest you. I will be your rest. My yoke, take my yoke upon me. Learn from me. You know that scripture. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. The message translation gives us that verse in the following way. It says, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. Jesus knew this. He was tired after serving that many people, but he knew he could get away with his father to recover his life. What, let me just quickly ask you this question. What would your life look like? Some of you are very young. Some of you are 20 years old. What would it look like for the next, if you, for the next 60 years of your life, if you had a habit of getting away with Jesus? Even if it's just 30 minutes each day. You know how connected you would live with God? Wow. What would that life look like? For the next 60 years, if you disconnected and really connected with your father, 
And then goes on, get away with me and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. So you see, work is not a bad thing. Jesus is saying, let me just show you the pace, the rhythm of how to walk in life. Let me show you the pace, the tempo at which a person is designed to work. He says, walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. He says, come and watch me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. So keep on chatting with me. <laughs> keep on talking with me. Come and watch how I do it. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know this invitation, if you want to make that super practical, I'll ask you the question, how will you watch Jesus? And how will you keep company with Jesus? If you never disconnect and make time to watch him. You know how you watch Jesus? You open up your Bible and you look at the life of Jesus. You watch him. You have to make time to do that. How do you keep company? How, how, do, you, how do you chat with Jesus? You pray. Worship team, you guys are welcome to come to the front. Now, I did want to actually ask the worship team if we could sing as a response song, read your Bible and pray every day. Because <laughs> friends, that's really what the sermon comes down to. And I'm hoping when I say that, you don't walk out here thinking that this is some religious you know, activity, that if I read my Bible and I pray every day that God will be more pleased with me. No, it's the principles of life that He gives for you to your benefit so that you can experience life. It's not something that should make you feel guilty. You know, the emotion that I want to wake in you is not guilt, it's hunger. <laughs> it's excitement to go back home and disconnect and connect with your Father, with your Creator. What would it look like if for the next 60 years you read your Bible and you prayed what would it look like if for the next 60 years you disconnected from, not only from technology, but from people, and sometimes even from work? And just watch Jesus and keep company with Him. You will be a different person. You will live the kind of life that Jesus speaks to in John chapter 10, verse 10. Let's all stand together as we go into a time of worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the wonderful opportunity, the gift of being able to watch you and keep company with you. I'm going to ask you, instead of praying for you, can I ask quickly, just one minute. We're only going to give it one minute and then from there, Yaku and the guys are going to lead us into a time of worship. Will you quickly turn to the person next to you, someone you came with? It doesn't have to be a long discussion. You each only have 30 seconds, right? But just tell them, where in this week, where in your day are you going to have your date night with God? Where in your day are you going to disconnect from your phone, a computer, and other people and isolate yourself so that you can connect with God? Would you do that quickly? 30 seconds, and then the other person gets 30 seconds. Just to say, where are you going to disconnect in order to connect with God? 
Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.